The killer has struck six times since last summer. There is a major new development. On the afternoon of December 24th, 2002, Scott Peterson arrived at his Modesto, California home. He had spent part of the day catching up on some work out of his nearby warehouse and then taking a short fishing trip at the Berkeley Marina. Upon arriving home and seeing the 96 Land Rover in their driveway, he expected to find his wife, Lacey, who was eight months pregnant with their first child, baking Christmas cookies. According to Scott, Lacey had plans to bake, mop the floors, take their golden retriever, Mackenzie, for a walk, as well as finish up some last-minute Christmas shopping. When he entered the home, Lacey was nowhere to be found. He said he noticed the dog in the backyard. Scott said he went ahead and emptied a mop bucket, undressed, and threw his clothes in the washer because they were dirty and wet from working and fishing. He also ate some pizza, showered, and listened to phone messages. At 5.17 p.m., Lacey's stepfather called the police and told them his pregnant daughter was missing. This is the murder of Lacey Peterson. Welcome to A Dark Tale. Welcome back to another episode of A Dark Tale. I'm your host, Joe, and with me as always is the captain of this crazy ship, James. I am the captain now. I'm James. Thank you for joining us. He is the captain now. <laughs> How are you this week? I'm good. I'm, I'm beat. We're, we're pushing hard this week. Yeah. We're bringing you the Lacey Peterson case. This is part one of... I don't know if this will be a two or a three part series, but this is just a little bit of the background information of uh, both Scott and Lacey, how they met. And, you know, we're going to lead into uh, that day, basically. I'm kind of I'm kind of going at it from a fresh slate. So, as you said, we're kind of going at it hard this week. I, I got taken up with John McAfee almost until this very second. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so we're we're. But good job with that. I knew there's there was a lot of work in that episode. So I hope you all enjoyed it. But so for this one, you're uh, you're definitely steering this one. I'll, I'll I'll hand over the reins this week. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so first question: How old were you in two thousand two? Twelve. So you were weren't really paying much attention to news. I I, I missed this part. Yeah, yeah. this was there was national for a long time. I had no um, idea. This that... inspired the book later to become a movie, Gone Girl. Oh, right. Ben you, you mentioned this. You did. Okay, yeah. that's right. So I was um, confusing a couple things. I'm pretty sure it inspired the story because it's pretty much spot on. I, I think there's an actual true story behind Gone Girl, so I don't want to say it's completely based on the Lazy Peterson case. So okay. that's just, you know, pop culture speculation. But anyway, back to the case at hand. Um, 
We're going back to 2002, as I said, December 24th, Christmas Eve uh, is the day in question. But before we get to that day, let's give you a little bit of a background on as to who these people were. I'd like that. Lacey Peterson was born Lacey Denise Roca on May 4th, 1975 to Dennis and Sharon, who owned a dairy farm in Escalon, California. When Lacey was younger, she worked on the farm and enjoyed gardening with her mom. And she later developed a, uh, a true affinity for horticulture and would end up taking effect on her later in life in her career choices. Not career choices, excuse me, her uh, college choices. Refresh me on what horticulture is, unrelated detail. Flowers, gardening. Okay. Yeah. So at a young age, she, uh, she, she really enjoyed gardening, especially with her mom. But when she was young, Sharon and Dennis divorced, and um, Lacey and her brother Brent uh, went to live with Sharon in Modesto, California, where they, uh, they grew up and visited the dairy on weekends. All right. Moving ahead, Lacey was a cheerleader in junior high and high school. And after graduating, she attended California Polytechnic University, where she majored in ornamental horticulture. Cool. Yeah, so that was definitely a, a big thing in her life. Mm-hmm. And while at California Polytechnic, Lacey would sometimes visit a friend of hers who worked in a restaurant in uh, Morro Bay, a place called Paci- the Pacific Cafe. This is where uh, her friend was a co-worker of Scott Peterson, and she would introduce the two okay. somewhere around 1994. A little bit of Scott's background. He was born October 24th, 1972 to Lee Arthur Peterson, uh, a businessman who owned a crate packing company, and Jackie... Helen Latham. She owned a boutique called uh, The Put-On. They had uh, five other sons, I believe, hey, including family. including Scott, Scott being the youngest. And uh, they all enjoyed um, different passions, golfing, fishing, hunting, very much outdoor family. And Scott quickly took to hunting and fishing as a young kid and uh, really achieved in golf. He was a big golfer from a young age. His father played with him and taught him. And by age 14, Scott could beat his father at a game. Cool. So, which is pretty good. Um, for a time, he had a big dreams of going pro. He, he played alongside Phil Mickelson. Anybody that follows the PGA Tour or golf in general, Phil Mickelson is a really talented player. He's Coming to the uh, back nine of his career, I believe, but okay, yeah, I'm I'm unaware. Of this he was person. a very prominent figure for a long time. He's a real good player. Uh, he was Scott's teammate in high school. Wow. Yeah, and Scott was good enough to get himself a partial scholarship to school to Arizona State, also with Phil Mik- Mickelson. They would continue to play each other all throughout school, but. With Mickelson's talents on the course, <laughs> it kind of uh, blew Scott out of the water, and Scott became a little discouraged, ultimately uh, dropping out of school and moved back in with his parents. Wow. Back in Morro Bay. He only lived at home for about six months because he, you know, wanted to be independent and felt he was too old to live with his parents. So he 
put himself through school, working three jobs. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. No, no. <laughs> Especially in this day in the age, in the 90s. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, that's, I guess that's ballsy. So then, anyway, one of the, so one then of the, they had a meet cute. Yeah. Well, one of these jobs he worked was at the, uh, like I said before, he was a waiter at the Pacific cafe and his coworker again, introduced Lacey to him in 94, but Lacey would be the one to make the first move. She was, uh, ordering coffee and sent Scott her phone number via napkin old school. Uh huh. And uh, immediately after meeting him, she she did this. She kind of fell head over heels for him, told her mother that she had met the man that she would marry. Mm. She was really in love with him at first sight. And uh, like many other men whose girlfriends asked them out, he probably didn't get the hint for a couple months. What do you mean? That she even liked him. I don't know. I'm just, I'm making a dig at myself, really, but... (laughs) Scott... Later called Lacey, they began dating, and their first date was somewhat Shakespearean irony, a deep-sea fishing trip, and we'll see why in later parts of this episode. Oh, God. Was that a bad joke? I don't know enough about the case to know, but it feels like... a bad joke, but it's more (laughs) foreshadowing than anything. Okay. And when you'll see see what I mean when I say Shakespearean irony, like, yeah, for the people that do know this case... You understand, but all those that don't, you'll hear the narrative along with James. James is along with the ride with you. So what's, what happened? They met? Well, as the relationship grows more serious, Scott totally puts aside any lingering dreams of professional golf and focuses on a business career. And um, That's the couple dated for two years, eventually moved in together. And while Scott finished his senior year, Lacey took a job in nearby Prunedale. I'm not sure what the job was, but anyway, after her graduation, they married at Sycamore Mineral Springs Resort in San Luis Obispo, and uh, that was on August 9th, 1997. Now, Scott had just graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in Agricultural Business in 98, and right after graduation, the Petersons opened up a sports bar in San Luis Obispo called The Shack. That's not the way I was expecting that to go. Yeah, not at all. That's not li- at all. That's life. <laughs> that's life. Uh, business was in- initially sh- slow at The Shack, but this didn't slow the Petersons down at all, and business eventually improved, especially on weekends. They ran The Shack for two years and sold it in 2000 when they moved to Lacey's hometown of Modesto. All she right. wanted to start a family and settle down and in October of 2000, they purchased a three-bedroom, two-bath bungalow house for $177,000 in an upscale neighborhood near Loma Park called on Covina Avenue. She took a part-time job as a substitute teacher. Scott got a job with a, with, uh, a company called Tradecore USA. It was a newly founded subsidiary of a European fertilizer company. It's, Scott was in sales. It sounds like a West shell Coast. company for an evil organization. I'm not going to. No, it's just like <laughs> it's just a branch. They were expanding to U.S. Uh, U.S. territory, and Scott was the U.S. representative on the West Coast. He earned a salary of five thousand dollars a month plus his commissions. Hell yeah! Yeah, 
Uh, he sold fertilizer, irrig- irrigation systems, chemical nutrients, etc., to to major farmers and flower growers. That's not far outside. Uh, kind of coincided with what Lacey was into in a in a way. Yeah, she I was, was into uh, gardening and all that stuff. Yeah, and I mean he has the degree in agricultural business too, and uh, we know someone with a who had a job similar to that. We do. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, well, it's sales. Yeah, like sell, selling equipment, like yeah, exactly. to businesses and all sorts of stuff. That's cool. Good money, um, really good money. Yeah. And Lacey enjoyed, you know, being a homemaker. Lacey's loved ones, including her mother and younger sister, uh, said that she worked enthusiastically at being the perfect housewife, enjoying cooking, entertaining friends and family. And she and her family were overjoyed when they got the happy news in 2002 when Lacey said she was pregnant. Both Scott and Lacey were, by all accounts, excited about becoming parents. And when they found out they were having a boy, the couple already had a a name planned out. Uh, They were going to call their their son Connor. Lacey's initial due date was February 10th, 2003, but they switched that up to the 16th of February in her second trimester. They mapped out, or they redid a room in the house, did a a blue, uh, uh, what do you call it, a blue nautical theme for the baby and they were set to go it sounds downright picturesque doesn't it yeah the family um i mean he's making great money and because he's making great money she gets to really go all in and on being the homemaker yeah um baby on the way plans happy to be a mom and excited to be a mom and so what's what what turn are you about to give me here what bad news are you gonna give me well we're going to speed it up to December 24th, 2002. Christmas Eve, Lacey is eight months pregnant, happily married. Yeah. The nursery's all set to go, as I said, and uh, decked out in a blue nautical theme for little Connor. And according to Scott, I'm going to try and take you through the events of the day, step by step, as best as I could document them. And uh, there's varying accounts of who saw what, at what time and you know certain people say certain witnesses are um, giving conflicting stories but I tried to narrow it down to a so what what um, sources did you mainly use on this like his own account well I looked up uh, witness testimonies such as his mother's testimony from the actual trial okay um, I looked up neighbor testimonies from statements taken on the day of, yeah. Okay. So, so I tried these, to go to the source. Right, these are just testimonials taken straight from the case itself? Other from, yeah, either from the day of, from police records, or court court records. Okay, all right. So what happened? according to Scott, both he and Lacey woke up around the same time, had breakfast together, and watched some TV. Scott told her he had plans to golf initially, but the weather was more favorable for fishing, and that was what he had decided he was going to do and uh, he left the house around 9 30 but just before leaving he was seen by a neighbor loading up uh, like big umbrellas into his um the bed of his truck Um, just umbrellas yeah these big like outdoor umbrellas he was taking them to his warehouse and um 
I guess, dropping them sure. off. Gotcha. So his neighbor waved hello, and that's how we have the 9.30 go time. Gotcha. Lacey told Scott that she was going to do some cleaning around the house, maybe some last-minute shopping, and uh, a couple things before the uh, family Christmas party later that night. So this is what we heard for the opening. Yeah. Okay. This is basically how the day is supposed to play out. Gotcha. Scott says he drove to his nearby warehouse uh, to do some work, send some emails. He worked out of this warehouse. He either had an office or computer or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he also had a boat, and um, he was going to pick that up to go fishing, obviously, and drop off those umbrellas. He also said he assembled some sort of saw for work, and this is to account later on for the dirty clothes that he... Does, well, he, say, does he say what work he was doing for a, well, that he needed a no, saw it, at the time? No, he doesn't get into... Uh, well, at least I didn't really look that much into it into the you know why he was putting a saw together i just figured maybe it's something he had to do or something he planned to do and it was something he used for work who knows it's like a some sort of saw anyway after hitching his trailer and and boat to his truck scott heads to berkeley marina which is about 86 miles from modesto i tried to map it out as best as i could and we're on the east coast but Google Maps shows it to be an average drive of about an hour and 44 minutes with reasonable traffic. I looked up the uh, the route around 2 o'clock California time today. Mm-hmm. In what year? 2002? That this, this is taking place? Yes. Okay. I'm just wondering because that... I honestly think traffic times might vary over the course of 20 years. There's, genu- yeah, there's uh, genuinely yeah. more traffic okay. to go around. Fair that. to say. But that's what I got. Right. An hour and 44 minutes with reasonable traffic. He says he fishes for about 90 minutes and then finishes up, whatever. And at around 2.17, he leaves a voicemail on Lacey's cell phone. Hey, beautiful. I won't be able to get to the Villa Farms to get that basket for Papa. I was hoping you would get this message and uh, go on out there. I'll see you in a bit, sweetie. Love you. Bye. Scott returned his boat to the warehouse, stopped for gas, and then he came home to an empty house. But he jumped in the shower. He said he got home around or about 4.30. He saw Lacey's purse and her car keys in the house, as well as the Land Rover in the driveway, um, he said he washed his clothes, like I said earlier, because he was dirty from working and they had sure. gotten wet from fishing. So he threw his dirty, wet clothes in the laundry and ate some pizza and listened to f- some phone messages. Mm-hmm. After about an hour, he figures, you know, maybe his mother-in-law came and picked up his wife. So he's getting curious as to where Lacey could have been with no keys, cars here. So he calls her and he asks Sharon, hey, is Lacey with you? And Lacey's mom says she isn't. So Scott says, okay. And then about a half hour goes by. This is what I gathered. And Lacey's stepfather makes a call to the police reporting Lacey missing. Can I help you? Yeah, uh, my daughter's been missing since this morning. She came 
went pregnant. She took a dog for a walk in the park. Mm -hmm. The dog came home with just a leash shot. What is your name? My name is Ron. Her husband, Scott Peterson. The dog went to the park. What does that dog mean? Now, one of the neighbors said that they found the, the Peterson's dog wandering the neighborhood between 10 and 11, still wearing its leash. Uh-huh. Uh, but no Lacey. She had said that she was going to walk the dog, and the dog was out. Uh, like I said, it's somewhere around 10, 11, and they know this because of certain receipts that were found from the day. Like I said, again, Lacey was shopping, running errands during throughout the course of the day. Right. So they established the timeline between 10 and 11 based on witness testimony and um, evidence they found that for that's the when the dog was found. Okay, for the for the dog at that, seeing the dog wearing its leash with no yeah. lacy. Right. One of the neighbors let the dog into the Peterson's yard by way of the, uh, the gate. If you look at a picture of their, uh, their house, it's a bungalow-style house, and it has a fence more or less in the front. Mm-hmm. But it, I would assume it wraps around to a bigger part of the backyard. So they just let the dog in through the front, leading it to the backyard. So And, and, um, and then according to Scott's account, the dog was in the backyard when he came home? When he came home, yeah. All right. So a little corroboration. Exactly. So now the police are involved. Police responded and acted on the 911 call immediately. Scott first met Modesto police detective John Evers at a nearby park where he was supposedly looking for Lacey. Scott. Scott was. Okay, so yeah. he was out looking for and, and by this time the police so were called. So Lacey's stepdad calls the cops. Reports are missing. Why, why did he report her missing so quickly? You know what? I, I have to look into that deeper and I'm going to answer that question on the next part. All right. Because uh, I don't think we're going to go too much farther. We'll just review what we have so far and where we're at at the end of this. Mm. And um, we'll go to part two. All right. Yeah, this park is, is somewhere Lacey frequently uh, went while walking the dog. All right, so that's what I was looking for there. I get it. Yeah. So that's Scott's motive for being at the park and meeting the cops there. Mm. And, of course, as we've discussed in past situations like this, the, uh, the wood chipper murder the wood chipper case yeah the uh chris watts case scott is immediately on detectives radar as the uh husband it's just the way things work yeah. in an investigation a husband is always looked at or i'm sorry not the husband but the, the spouse is always looked at it, first it's not even really uh sp that specific um lots of kidnapping cases uh even even assaults uh, well yeah they always it, look at the person close, closest yeah exactly yeah That's and I mean. work their way out mm -hmm. so it's just natural yeah it's a standard tactic so police gave him multiple opportunities to be forthcoming and initially he was at least in the beginning scott scott allowed police to search his home his truck toolbox his warehouse and his boat so he's pretty open when it came to you know, the immediate investigation, he was all in. Mm -hmm. So, well, yeah, because you're, that's how I would be too. 
Yeah. If, yeah. if cops are helping me look for my wife. Exactly. However, when he was asked certain questions, uh, and well, let me tell you, he answered questions to the best of his ability, but police noted some strange behavior. Now, these may sound strange, but you have to think the context of the day. They're probably not grilling the man initially because his wife is missing and they don't have any solid facts yet. So that's what they're fishing for is solid facts. Sure. So they asked him, you know, minor things along the course of the conversation. What kind of bait he used while he was fishing what was he actually fishing for mm. you know little light jabs Just because what doing through the day yeah what what did you do while you were fishing okay what kind of bait did you use well you know i i i fish out on the bay sometimes what were you fishing for you know they're making mm. conversation while inquiring about his day so was this did this raise flags for them yeah because he couldn't remember any kind of bait that he used he was almost dumbfounded and clueless and in fact he didn't even know what he was fishing for like he couldn't well like he couldn't even confidently say like oh just worms no no like he He was like fumbling that uh, apparently yeah and now there's there's mixed uh reporting on on whether scott was a avid fisherman at all when this first case when the case was first you know, being explored by armchair detectives online, on Reddit, mm-hmm. things of that nature. People were speculating that he was keeping this boat purchase a secret. And it was a specifically planned out purchase for the murder of, of Lacey. But that seems like a big jump for, for it me. It does sound honestly. like a big jump. I gotta say, if, yeah. if this is a... We're going to explore some different theories later on down the line, but there's also conflicting stories, of course, from the family who, you know, def- defend him. Okay. That say, you know, Scott was always a fisherman. Yeah. Uh, he The boat, he, he had plenty of boats before and after, or not after, but he had plenty of boats that he sold and bought before this specific boat and... and you know, it's nothing new. Not to mention, I, I can, I, I feel like I, I know a lot of people who fish just to fish. Like the act of fishing is yeah, just Yeah, it's like, just a relaxing Yeah, it's just meditative. Like, yeah. like literally, they don't have to be fishing for anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean you're an angler. Yeah, yeah. Or the fact that it's it's Christmas Eve, right? It's December 24th. Yeah. He might just be, and he, had, he got some work done too. He might just be chilling. I, I'm, that very I, well could be. You know what? And I'm just throwing, I'm literally throwing darts at what I know of the story but as you've told well, it to I'm, me so I'm far. kind of glad that you you're kind of oblivious to this because you can be the objective observer through the whole thing and and look at it from both point of views like f- play devil's advocate and then on the side of the defense yeah cuz i mean because he's up on appeal right now really yeah For- i'm i'm going to kind of Spoiler alert, Scott was charged with Lacey's murder, but he's up on appeal right now. And again, we'll get into all that later on down the line. But back to the day in question, there's a little side note here. I don't know why I felt it was important at the time, but 
Scott's boat was a uh, freshwater boat, a small little almost dinghy-like thing. It's about 14 feet long with a single propeller engine, the kind you pick up when yeah. you're not using. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, boats are still expensive. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. like uber rich. But it'll come into the question of, you know, body disposal later on, the okay. size of the boat. And mm. yeah, I don't want to give away all the details. But again, I'm sure there's people listening that already know the story. And know the details. But for those of you that are listening that don't, be prepared because it gets pretty grim. So he, he wasn't able to remember everything about his fishing trip, but was that really enough to jumpstart an entire investigation towards him specifically? Or I think it was, was just there, was there like anyone who could who could corroborate his story? Was he working with anyone or or was no. he fishing well, with anybody? Yeah, well, okay, so a few things. Uh, I think, like we said, initially the spouse is going to be looked at first, just out of uh, typical protocol. But after the you know bit of questioning that they may have put him through, I think a few red flags went up. Um whether they were valid or not, I don't know. About, like you said, with the fishing thing, not knowing what he was fishing for or blah, blah, blah. Right. But they weren't connecting that yet. They were just saying he, but I think he, it was, he was unable to I think it answer. was maybe not even a red flag, but it was just you know something that went off in their mind that looked at them a little strange. You don't know what you're doing when you're fishing. So I think stuff like that just kind of just, you know, made them look at him more. Sure. And as far as anybody corroborating Scott's story, I believe he, I, I want to say that neighbor that he waved to is probably the last person that saw him before, you know, the police and everybody else did because mm-hmm. he comes home to an empty house. The neighbor, her name was Amy Krigbaum. Testified that Scott said he was golfing all day when he knocked on her door looking for his wife. Oh, so this is this he saw her later when Yeah, so you figure Scott comes home, they the stepdad places the nine one one call, Scott goes out looking for Lacey, maybe bangs on a neighbor's door, and in the ruckus of exchanging words as to what's going on he tells her that he was golfing all day when he told everybody else he was going fishing. Oh, so that's another red flag. So there's, I'm sure, I'm sure that person called or not called, but definitely talked to a detective later on in the investigation. Yeah. And yeah, those yeah. those two stories didn't match up. Okay, and that was just, and he was or, or she, Amy, um, was probably just given her side of the story what you know what, what he just what he just naturally said okay so i could see how that would yeah so this case is definitely all circumstantial evidence i don't think there's there may be one or two bits of physical evidence other than of course the corpse of the deceased but that we will get into more in uh, maybe part two maybe part three Like I said, I'm not sure how far we're going with this thing. 
but we want to get a lot of details. We wanted to do a deep dive, so this is the deep dive. Um, well, thank you for telling me this. Yeah, let's let's recap a little bit and just just to clarify where we stand in the story. Um, Scott and Lacey meet somewhere in 1994. Can, can I can I tell it now? Can I maybe? Yeah, yeah, sure. I was gonna say maybe yeah, like good. if if uh, if I if I am correct here. So Scott and Lacey. Uh, I mean, I don't remember exactly what... The, well, no, I do. She majored in horticulture. He made in agricultural science, but that's not completely relevant. <laughs> they, they, so they, they, they met, they got married. He, he was a, he was a salesman. Uh, they were, they had a pretty good life and they had a baby on the way. Eight months pregnant. Eight months pregnant. Um, I mean, is that, is that fair to say is a setup? Yeah. I mean, overall, yeah. Yeah, that's where we stand. Uh, if you're waiting for part two, part two is going to pick up on uh, more along the lines of the actual investigation as to where Lacey could be, as well as a big reveal on the side of Scott Peterson, something that is definitely going to put him on on the uh, national radar okay. when it comes to his missing wife. Okay. I'll, so tune in. Oh, well, I didn't even finish my recap, did I? Oh, uh, I thought you did. No, I just said that they met. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, well, they met, right, and the baby on the way. Yeah. And then one Christmas Eve, 2002, she just goes missing, right? She just shows up. Allegedly. That's the way it seems. Allegedly, she had gone missing. He was working, supposedly. Fishing. Fishing. Um, and he kind of cleaned himself off for the day. And we're hearing mixed things about where he was and what he was doing. Uh, but his his wife was gone. His Her car was home. And the dog was running. Um, a was, muck. A, well, yeah. Running in the street uh, with a leash on and her nowhere to be found. Exactly. So all her effects are at home. Her car is home. The okay. dog's home. And pretty, uh, pretty easy to follow along so far. I can, I, but I can start to see where this quickly becomes a big war of point of view. Yes. Yes. Right. And it's going to capture national attention for for a long time. And uh, all right. So yeah, that's where we are. Like I said, part two will pick up with the general investigation and a. Uh, Big reveal. So tune into part two of A Dark Tales coverage on the Lacey Peterson case. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out uh, on Twitter at A Dark Tale Pod. Pose your questions, suggestions, critiques, criticisms, what have yous. I don't mind. James don't mind. If you want to get at me personally, you can reach me at Joe underscore the host. Be mean. You can be mean at him. <laughs> you can uh, you can email us for anything you want to say. You know, off the record at a dark tale podcast at darktail podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, if you have any case suggestions, we'd love to have them. Uh, we're always looking for something to talk about. So thank you. Stay safe out there. No, really. Thanks for listening, and please remember, evil can be anywhere.